Welcome to Passion Life Church. Today I want to talk to you about unblocking God's blessings in our lives. And we're going to talk about grace giving today. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to just give you a little history of what's happening. And uh, Paul, the apostle Paul is writing letters and he's writing because he has to take up an offering for a church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is struggling. They're in poverty. Uh, Historians believe they're struggling because of Some of the politicians have come in and persecuted them. There's been earthquakes and these Christians were struggling. And Paul had a heart for the church and the people in Jerusalem. And so as he's trying to pick up this offering, he starts using an example of a church in Macedonia. And this church in Macedonia, um, Paul had also planted. And here's what's interesting about this whole story, this dynamic The church in Macedonia was going through an extreme trial. They were actually not only going through an extreme trial, but they were impoverished as well. It's an incredible story. Let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul's talking about this church. He says in Macedonia, Paul writes, he says, I want you to know, Passion Life Church, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, would you say joy this morning? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Now, when you read that, it doesn't even seem like it makes sense. It it, it makes you wonder how poverty can overflow and how you, what you don't have can create what you need. Interesting. And he says, how does it seem that if you lack, right, and this, what seems to be lack in your life can open the door to God's unlimited supply. Look at, it says their abundance of joy in their extreme poverty. That's interesting. Have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for, listen to this, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and Beyond to infinity and beyond. all right, you're watching Buzz Lightyear. That's great. As I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, listen to this, verse 4 begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So, here is a church in Macedonia who is going through an extreme poverty time, they hear that Paul is taking up an offering for a church in Jerusalem, and they actually come to the apostles of that time, and they beg them, we want to be a part of this offering. Look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of what? This act of grace. And then it says this in verse 7, but as you excel in everything in faith, 
Because really what this is about is building your faith. This is about building your faith. I hope that today's message will build your faith. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love. Will you say love? How many of you think we mean more love in the world today? Come on. He says that you excel in love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also. I love this story. I think it's genius the way Paul is putting this together and he's encouraging the people in Corinth. He's encouraging us today for this offering. And what's interesting is that I could understand how he could use somebody who was very well off and say, hey, you know what? This person gave in this offering and was begging us to give in this offering. But that's not what happened in the church in Macedonia. Their resources were very low. And the Bible says that it was actually they were in extreme poverty, extreme poverty. But this is what I love about the church in Macedonia is that they weren't the kind of people that just wanted to see what God could do for them. They wanted to see what God could do through them. And so I'm thankful today. We have people at Passion Life Church that come early in the morning to set all of this up. And we're sitting here today. You know why? They came early in the morning, not just to come to service to see what God would do for them, but they wanted to see what God would do through them. Now, as we start as a young Christian, it's great. We come to church and we come to church because we want God to do stuff for us. But see, as we grow and as we mature, it's time that we say, God, I don't want to just see what you will do for for me, I want you to do something through me. And see, many people want to come to church and have the me church. Me, 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 me. They want the me church. They don't want the we church. They want it. It's all about me. It's all about the goose pimples I can get. It's about all of these things. And what you're going to understand about the blessings of God is the blessings of God are not just for you. They are for beyond you. They are to go to you and go through you. And what happens is we block the blessings of God when we don't allow them to go through us. And see, I know many Christians as they come to church and they just, it's all for me. And they allow it to come in, but they don't allow it to go out. That's why I call them constipated Christians. How many of you know that's what happens when you get constipated? You feed and I just want to be fed and I just want to be fed. Well, that's great. But something happens when you just want to be fed and things come in, but things don't go out. And so I came here to unclog. I came here to tell you that the blessing has been poured out for you, but you can block the blessing by not letting it go through you. And here is where the dichotomy of people don't understand. Well, Pastor Phil, I thought the blessing has been poured out. My brothers and sisters, it has been poured out. But you know what? You have a part to play whether it's poured not just out, but poured through. And see, I want the blessings of God not just to come to me, but to go through me. That's where in the New Testament, I believe it was John wrote, he said, the love of God is perfected in me. When? When I give the love of God away. See, the love of God is perfect, but 
John uses the perfection of God's love. In other words, one translation says, the love of God is not completed in you until you give it away. So it's not just for you and to work for you, but it's to work through you. And this church, I love their attitude. They said, even in the extreme poverty that we have, I want God to do something through us. And so let's look at three ways that they responded to the grace of God. Here's number one. The church in Macedonia, they gave out of little, yet they gave largely. They gave out of little, yet they gave largely. You know, Paul opens up in verse one and he says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. See, here's what's interesting is that even in their extreme poverty, They looked at what they had. They didn't look at what they didn't have. They looked at what they had and they said, wow, we still have something. That is the grace of God. And let me encourage you today, each of us in this room today, listening to the podcast. You know, we have people all over the world that listen to this podcast today. We do. And uh, we check the stats. I mean, people all over the world, people in all parts of California are listening today. And I just want to encourage you. I want you to know that each and every one of us, you have something. You have something. And they looked at what they have. And here's what they did. They gave out of the little that they have. You know, one of the things I found out is that if you never give out of little, you'll never give out of big. The church in Macedonia, what they did is they looked at their impoverished state and they said, here's what we have. We give according to what we have. See, that is the grace of God. God never expects you to give out of what you don't have. And God never despises the little things. We have to stop overlooking in our lives the little things. David had a little rock in his hand and that rock with the power of God behind it was able to slay a giant. But if you look at the rock in your hand and all you see is a rock and you don't see it as a, as a tool to kill a giant, you're despising the grace that God has already given you. All as David needed was a rock. Come on, somebody. And so many times we look at what we have and we just say, I don't have it. And that's the problem. You're not looking at what you do have. And what made them go beyond their capacity was a willingness actually to give what was already within their capacity. It's already within their capacity. And when they gave out of little, God made it go beyond. Do you remember last week when we talked about the little boy who gave his five loaves and two fishes to Jesus? He was a genius. Because five loaves and two fishes, when you put it in Jesus's hand, and let's think about the thought process. Disciples steal little boy's lunch. Little boy goes hungry, and he goes hungry because Jesus took his lunch. Actually, the little boy said, Jesus, my lunch is better in your hands than in my hands. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes. And here's what I think. I think sometimes we have five loaves and two fishes and we just look at it and say it's not enough. But under God, it's enough when you put it in Jesus' hands because he'll take what you have and he'll move it beyond. Come on, somebody. See, just because a person's rich doesn't mean they're generous. Let me say that again because I know some of you didn't hear that. 
I knew it would be quiet. It's, it's always quiet when you talk about giving. We're excited about God giving his son to us. Oh. But now when it's our turn to give his son away to someone else, right? It's okay. I prayed for you this week. I really did. I prayed that today, God, that you would be encouraged by the church of Macedonia. You know, just because you're rich doesn't mean you're generous. Do you know you can have lots of money and still be poor in generosity? Amen, Pastor Phil, you're preaching. Go ahead. I know it's silent in this Presbyterian church, but keep, keep preaching the truth. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means. And you know what? This is what God asks. So here's the question. What are you doing with what you have? Not our, what you're doing, what you, what you don't have. What are you doing with what you have? I believe that most people don't have financial problems. I believe most people have management problems because we cannot manage what we already have. I had a guy walk up to me two years ago and, uh, and he told me on a Sunday, pray with me, Pastor Phil, we're losing uh, our house. I don't have my house payment and I, I prayed for him, right? And the next week he came up to me and he said, hey, I got to show you something, Pastor. I'm really excited. I want you to see my new tattoo. And I asked him, so how did everything go with, with the house? He says, oh, we, we still don't have money. And I said, but you just got a tattoo. He's like, yeah, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense how you are homeless without shelter, but check out the tat. And I'm not against tattoos. That's not what I'm preaching. But what I'm saying is that somewhere we don't look at what we have and we think that because we don't have certain things that we don't have much. And the church in Macedonia said, we will give out of what we have. And you know what God did? God took it beyond. He took it beyond. So what you do with what you have determines whether you have more. I'm going to expound on this later. And we have to stop overlooking at what we have. Here's number two. The church in Macedonia never let their poverty limit their liberty. People, although they were going through an impoverished season, thought generously, not through poverty. And what I have found about poverty is poverty is a mindset. It's a mindset. This is why 70% of people who win the lottery lose it within five years. Because poverty is a mindset. They don't understand the management of what they have given. Oh, if I just had more. The Bible says that if we're faithful in little, God will give us more. And you know what? One article that I read said when they won the lottery, they had more problems and not just lost everything, actually had to claim bankruptcy. You know why? Because poverty can be a mindset. Come on, somebody. It's a mindset. And see, many people, what I have found is they just engage in limited thinking. And if you engage in limited thinking, it produces a limited life. And here's the problem. We serve an unlimited God. And we limit him in our stinking thinking. It's pretty amazing. You know, so many people 
just become content with their preconditioned mindsets. And we serve such an unlimited God. I remember when I signed up my son for swimming lessons. And, uh, you know, he's, I don't know what it is about. Maybe your kids are just different. My son did not, he just does not like to take a bath. I don't, I don't know what it is. Anybody, come on, am I the only one up here? I mean, do your kids just like get naked and jump in the, I mean, my, nah, I don't know if it's the water, he doesn't like the water. So we signed him up for swimming lessons. And I just remember he had all of these preconditioned thoughts and mindsets in his mind. And uh, he would see the other kids swimming and he said, dad, I, I, I don't swim. And then we got him on the stairs, finally. And you know what, Dad? I, 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 don't, I don't get off the stairs, Dad. You know what? Uh, Dad, I, I don't go underwater, Dad. I, I don't do that. But here's the question. So how will we ever know what we're capable of if we never get beyond what we're comfortable with? And see, as a father... I want my son to experience swimming. I want him to experience the glorious sensation of a cannonball. And I'm not talking about just any cannonball. I'm talking about the one in Home Alone where he jumps off and he loses his pants. Come on, somebody. That's the cannonball. Like, there's so much freedom in that. Come on, man, let yourself go. But in his mind, he has preconditioned himself. You know what? I don't go under water. I don't get off the stairs. You know, this morning, my church family, the reason why I told you this story is that my son, although he told me the things he couldn't do, as a father, as a father, it's what you need to figure out as a Christian. What you have convinced yourself that you can't do, that in reality, it's what you won't do. It's what you won't do. And here's what I found out about church people. They come to church and they say they want to be changed. But don't challenge me, please. Do not challenge me. I want to be changed, but don't challenge me. You know what? Guess what? No challenge, no change. And so some people come to church like my son. I don't swim. I don't leave the stairs. I don't go underwater. I'll come to church, Pastor Phil. I'll take some notes. I'll worship. But I don't do that giving thing. I don't leave the stairs. I don't go underwater. And it's like when we're challenged, we perceive it as a threat. It's like my son sitting on the stairs at the pool, and I'm saying, come on, come on, come on, Gavin, get off the stairs. No, Dad, the pool's going to kill me. Yeah, that's a matter of fact why we created this pool. That's why I brought us here today, because so you could drown in this pool. I'm such a great dad. In actuality, the whole pool was made so in the summer season we could relax and enjoy ourselves. But because of his preconditioned mind, he sits by the stairs and watches other kids free. And here's my challenge. As a pastor, people show up to listen to the word of God, but they already have limitations on what they will believe and what they won't believe. And you know what I loved about the teachers there at the swimming lesson is they, they took my son and they were like, come on, Gavin, let me help you see that there's something in you that you have convinced yourself is beyond you.
And yet it wasn't beyond him because he got off the stairs, he started to swim and he went underwater and he experienced the whole purpose of the pool. And you know what amazes me? It amazes me how many people are conditional in their faith. They put conditions on their faith. Oh, Pastor Phil, if I could, I would, Pastor Phil. Really. You know what Paul said about the Macedonian church? He said they couldn't, but they did. They couldn't, but they did. And when they did, they could. Let me say that again. So when they did, they could. So we say, if I would, I could. But here's what faith says. Faith says, I could if I would. See, if you could forgive, and you could forgive if you would forgive. But you won't forgive, so you can't forgive. You could have joy if you would rejoice. You could be free if you would be free. You could step out if you would step out. You could make it if you would endure. You could put it in God's hand if you would let it go. So it started out in the church of Macedonia. It started out with them giving what they could. And it resulted in them giving what they couldn't. Because they looked at the grace of God and said, we may not have everything that we lost, but what we have in our hand, we see the grace of God. And they put what they had in their hand into God's hand, and he took what was in their hand beyond. And so when they gave what they could, it ended up in them giving what they couldn't. My church family, that's what we call the miracle of God. The miracle of God. And let me just give you this little quote. See, your ability to believe will never catch up with God's ability to perform. Let me say that again. Your ability to believe will never catch up with God's ability to perform in your life. I love what Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask. Uh Uh-oh, here's that word. Imagine. So that means I got to take off the preconditions that I have because what is limiting God is my imagination. To him who is able to do more, exceedingly more than we can even ask, imagine according to his power that works within us. How many of you believe today that God can do more than you can even imagine? So here's number three. The church in Macedonia, they gave themselves first to the Lord. This is where it flows out of. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Look at verse 5. It says, and this, as we expect, as we did not expect. As a matter of fact, Paul is even surprised at what happened here. He says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Notice the sequence. They gave themselves to the Lord first and their giving flowed out of giving themselves first to the Lord. And you know what I have found out? See, people who don't give themselves to the Lord first won't give out of their possessions because God is not first in their life. And see, if my life first belongs to God, then everything I have belongs to God. And for some people, their possessions possess them. 
See, God is not opposed to you having stuff. Abraham was rich. Isaac, look at, look at our lineage, our fathers of faith in the Old Testament. My goodness, God is not against you possessing possessions. God is against possessions possessing you. You know, it's interesting because I grew up with a poverty mindset and I have family members that they are so attached to their possessions. I have family members that have rooms full of stuff. You can't even walk into the room. And listen, it's not stuff like, you know, we're gonna store that there. That stuff has been there for years. And, and, and they complain, they have financial issues. They complain about it, like, hey, you know, and I'm like, well, why don't you sell the stuff? And they look at me like I'm asking them to give away their firstborn child. Because their identity is attached to stuff. And here, can I just encourage you? I've done tons of funerals. And maybe if you've seen this, tell me. I've never seen at a funeral a hearse going down the road with a U-Haul attached to it with people's stuff. And can I tell you what I've ever, ever seen? I've never seen, I've been to when they actually get the ground up and they get the ground up and they're about to put the person in there. I never see them digging a hole over here because that person bought a, a, a burial next to them for their stuff. As a matter of fact, you know what I hear? When the people pass away, oh, we're so, oh, we're so sad they passed away. God, they had a lot of stuff. And guess who had to clean it up? When you get to heaven, you're not taking anything with you except the people that you prayed with to get there. Everything else is just a part of this earth. And let, let, let me shock you just a little bit because what you have and all the stuff that you have when you get to heaven, we are going to walk on streets of gold, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm amazed how people are attached to stuff. And what happens is your possessions start to possess you. And it's tough. I'm gonna tell you, it's tough. Because we start to believe more in our possessions. We start to believe more in our money, that money can do more for us. Listen, I understand we all need money to pay bills. But you know what? The Bible says that you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. You know why? Because money is a false God. Money is a false God. And see, the church in Macedonia they didn't have this idea of, okay, Paul's asking for an offering. <sighs> I guess we'll give. This is how I know they weren't giving under the law. They didn't give out of obligation. They gave out of appreciation. And they had things taken away from them. And even in that, they said, God, we know that we will give you from what we have. And this is how their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. It's time to unblock the blessings that God has already poured out in your life. So here's what people ask me. 
people ask me this. So Pastor Phil, we're under grace. So if we're under grace, does that mean that we still have to or we should tithe? Yes. Let's pray. Yes. You know why? And I want to help you today. I want to help you break through some financial barriers today. And I want to explain to you in, in our last remaining time together what the tithe means. The tithe did not originate under the law. The tithe originated back in Genesis with a guy named Abraham. Now turn just real quick in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter Seven. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. But maybe if you're here for the first time or maybe, you know, you, you come to church and you don't understand, you know, your mentality is just, you know, the church wants your money. You know, God wants your money. Can I just tell you this? God does not need your money. You need God's blessing on your money. God's fine. And it doesn't matter who's president. God's still fine. Amen. So the tithe didn't originate under the law. It started with Abraham. We call him the father of our faith. And so Abraham, let's read. And you can read this, about this in Genesis 13, but I'm reading the New Testament version because you will find out that tithing appears before the law. It appears in Genesis, right? It appears in Malachi when there was the law. And then it also appears in the New Testament. I want to show you what the tithe does for your life. Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated king of righteousness. I'm going to explain this to you in just a moment. And then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Salem, you could say it like this, shalom, right? It's the king of peace. Verse number three, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Everybody say that with me. Say continually. Here's verse four. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Let me explain this to you. This is in Genesis chapter 13. The Bible says that the Abraham, our father, if you were in children's church, we used to sing that song, Father Abraham. Anybody remember that? Had many sons, many sons had father. And then right arm, left arm, I don't know. It was just a crazy, amazing song. Wish I would have wrote it. And Abraham wins a battle. Now, this is what's amazing. Abraham took on a king who was over five cities. And he took on this king because this king captured one lot, one of Abraham's relatives. Abraham took 318 servants, servants, not 300, right, of the mighty 300. No, this was 318 trained servants. And he took on a king's army that oversaw five cities and Abraham won the battle. 
and he took all of the spoils. And so this guy, we need to know who he is. This Melchizedek, who's Melchizedek? Well, many theologians believe, and I believe this as well. Why? Because it's right here in the scripture. This is Jesus. Now, I'm not here today to argue if this is a pre-incarnate Jesus, it's a type and shadow, however you want to see it's fine. But it tells me that it is the priest of the most high God. And here's another reason. He is the king, the Bible says, of righteousness. So this is Jesus and his name, right? Salem, the king of peace. Now watch this. He comes to Abraham after this big, huge victory. And he comes to Abraham bringing bread and wine. Anybody know what that is? Bread and wine. That's communion. You see communion in Genesis. Now let me ask you a question. Is communion for today? Yes. So Melchizedek brings this to Abraham, bread and wine. And here's what Abraham did. And here is when the tithe is given, number one, the tithe is given to show how great the Lord is in your life. Abraham, out of all of the spoils that he got, he gave God a tenth of that. He gave that guy, Melchizedek, a tenth. And here's why. Because it was an act of worship. He said in his mind, Abraham said, if it was not for God, I would not have won that battle. And I won the battle because of God. And for that, I am grateful and I will worship you. Here's a tenth of all the spoils. Notice this. God did not ask him for all of the spoils. God asked him for a tenth. Because when we tithe, it is an act of worship. Let me say it this way. It is an act of Worth-ship. How much is he worth? Is he first in your life? And so Abraham, this was, if I would tell you this is the number one reason why, right here, because it shows how great the Lord is in your life. And let me ask you a question. Has God been good to you? Has God been great to you? Has God given you a job? Has God given you things? Has he been great to you? Has he not given his son to us? He gave his son. Do you know that Jesus was God's tithe? See, God wanted more sons and daughters. So what he did is he sent his son as a tithe into the world. Jesus was God's tithe. Here's number two. Here's number two. The tithe is given to remove the curse off your money. Now, let's read this. Matthew chapter three, verse eight. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. So what is the storehouse? The storehouse is God's house, right? And when we give our tithe, there's meat, there's resources, there's kids ministry, right? There's life groups, there's people giving their lives to Christ. Because why? We are bringing our tithes to the storehouse, that 
there be meat in my house. And now watch this. One translation says, test me and prove me now here and says the Lord of hosts, I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I want to show you something because I didn't understand this. And I want, to, I want to share this in all humility. So Pastor Phil, you preach to us that we are blessed. You are blessed. I could sit here and go through many blessings. You are blessed with Jesus. Jesus resides on the inside of you. You are rich. You are rich people. You are rich in mercy. You are rich in love. You are rich in forgiveness. God has poured out his blessing. That is a done deal. You are blessed, but your money is not. Many of us know this. We call this dirty money. This money has been through many hands. We don't know where this has come from, right? This last week could have been used to pay a prostitute. This last week could have been or gone to, to a mission somewhere. And even us, we would know this. We'll touch money. We won't put our hands on our eyes or in our mouth because we know that it is dirty money. My church family, money right now until I give it to God is under the curse, the world right now is under a curse. How do you know that, Pastor Phil? Because the Bible tells me in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, that when Jesus comes back, look at this, and it says, and there shall be no more curse. So when Jesus comes back, the curse will be removed. Now, a lot of people ask me all these questions. Well, why cancer? Listen, why this? Why is Ebola? Why? Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a fallen world. And because of our great, great father, Adam, and his mess up that he did, right? The world is a fallen world. Now, our money comes and it comes, right, from our paycheck. This right here is still under the curse, See, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, he says, you are cursed with a curse. This is not Jesus cursing you. Jesus is not cursing you. How do I know that Jesus is not cursing you? Because in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. So Jesus is not cursing us. Pastor Phil, if I don't give my tithe, am I cursed? Here's the problem. Your money is. Your money is acting under the curse. I'm going to get real deep here for a second. Do you remember when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11:30 and he said that for this reason, one reason, for this reason, many people are weak and sick among you and many sleep. And what he was saying is that there were Christians who were dying before their time because how many of you know there's sickness in the earth. But God has given us his son for healing and he's also given us communion and so when we take of this communion this represents his blood and when I take of this small wafer it represents Jesus's body that was broken for me and he says when you take this the Christians did not understand they did not make a difference between the blood that was for forgiveness and the bread that was for healing when I take this and break it I'm reminded right Jesus said do it in remembrance of me 
Don't do this in remembrance of you and your sin. Do it in remembrance of me. So when I take this, I thank God that I am healed. And so people were dying before their time because they were not taking advantage of the communion. Now, I know it's been preached for years and years and years. Don't take communion because God will judge you. Okay. So while I was in sin, didn't know Christ, God demonstrated his love for me. Right? God demonstrated his love for me while I was yet in sin. Now I'm saved, but I can't take the communion, which this blood forgives me of my sins. But now that I'm already forgiven, if I take it, it's going to mess me up. Does that even make sense? So I have to examine myself to make sure I have not one sin. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying examine. In other words, make a difference in the Greek. Make a difference. Everybody knows what this is for, forgiveness of sins. But what was happening is because they didn't realize that when they took this, this was his body that was broken so your body could be whole. That's why today when you leave, there's a thing of communion. Take a whole bunch of it. That you can steal today. Take a whole bunch of it. And you know what? This week, just... Take a moment in your devotional time and take communion. <gasps> take communion at a house. I thought we were only supposed to take it at church. Jesus said, as often as you do, you do it in remembrance of me. And so when I, you know what? When I feel sick, guess what I grab? I grab communion and I begin to thank God for the healing of his body that was broken so my body can be made whole. I don't understand why so many Christians are battling finances and financial issues because they don't take care and they don't take advantage of the method in which God has given you to redeem your money. So God is not cursing you just like the Christians who were dying before their time. What were they doing? They were succumbing to the curse that was already in the earth. But God had given them what they needed to break through and to be blessed. And what the Bible says, and this is what we need to understand about the tithe. When you tithe, here's what happens. A tenth to God represents a whole. God took all of the law hundreds of laws. And you know what he did? He put them into 10. And he said, if you keep the 10, you keep all. Because 10 to God represents all. Aren't you glad he didn't say 70% represents all? He said 10% represents all. So if you keep all 10, you've kept all all of the law. But if you break one of the 10, which none of us can, you break all the law. That's why Jesus came and fulfilled the law for us. Are you tracking with me this morning? I know it's a little deep, but you need to understand this because your breakthrough is here and the blessing has been poured out, right? And so here's what happens. When I give my 10th 
to the house of God, Romans chapter eleven sixteen says this, for if the first fruit is holy, what does it holy mean? Simply this, set apart. When I set apart that tenth, now that tenth is already holy. It's set apart to God. Now what people do is they take that holy thing for themselves. And this is where we get in trouble because the Bible says that if we'll take the first tenth, if the first fruit is holy and set apart, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So watch this. When I come to God's house, which is, Jacob said in the Old Testament, is a gateway to heaven. I'm going to explain that for a minute because some of us think that the tithe, we give it, and God, it just kind of, God just pours a blessing. There's more to that, my church family. When I give this to God at his house, the first tent is holy. What God does is he redeems and makes holy the whole other 90%. And let me just tell you this, God can do more with your 10% than you can do with your 100%. And this, yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. Come on, keep clapping. I may give this away. So when I give my tent, it represents to God that I give my all. And then he puts his blessing on the 90. And look at what he does. Verse 11, Malachi chapter 3, verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Watch this. Are you ready? I, you may get a little excited about this. Because see, when I don't tithe, this is under the curse and the devil can touch curse things. But when I give my 10th, God makes the 90% holy and the devil cannot touch what is holy. Woo! And we wonder why people's are devastated financially. And here's the reality. Here's the confusion. Well, he's blessed me. He has poured out the blessing. But here's what you need to understand. The blessing is to come to you, but to go through you. And when it goes through me, like it's supposed to, I unblock the blessing. Let me give you an example. God has poured out his forgiveness to all of us. Can we agree today that forgiveness has been poured out? Let me see your hands. Forgiveness. But yet there are people, Christian, good people, right, that will not forgive another person. So what happens in their life? Are they experiencing God's blessing? No, they're not. Through their choice, they are making a decision not to follow what God has already given them. Forgiveness was not just given to you and for you. Forgiveness was given to you so you can give it through you when someone does something wrong to you. I'm not trying to rap this morning, but it's I'm flowing. And you know the sad part, and excuse me if I get a little passionate, but over years of being pastor, I've seen people die, bitter people. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. God loves them. 
God's already forgiven them. But they will die bitter. And you know what? Science is even telling us now that people who are bitter are more prone to cancer and arthritis. And then what we do is we look and we go, God, what's wrong? And let me just say this, my church family. Earth is not waiting on heaven. Heaven is waiting on earth. Because the blessings have already been poured out. But my question comes back to what I asked you before. What are you doing with what you have? Pastor Phil, aren't you upset that people or think that people are going to get upset when you talk about money? Well, you know what? Here's what I've learned. The answer is still the same whether you get upset or not. I've talked to people who are very bitter and the answer is still you have to forgive whether you get mad or not. The answer doesn't change. Now you can get mad at me for this, but can I just tell you, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't write the Bible. I know I preach it pretty good. Thank you. I may come back next week. But I didn't write it. But God says that if I will give back to his, so he gives me and I give it back and he gives me more and then I give it back and he gives me more and I give it back. But here's what we do. Is we don't trust him. And we say, God, here's when we come back under the law. I got my finances. I got my job. And we slip into self-effort. And unlike Abraham, instead of saying, God, without you, I couldn't do this. We say, I'm going to do it by myself. And this is mine. And that's why we're stressed out. That's why we have financial issues. And here's where we end today. Are you learning something today? Here's where we end today. See, the tithe is given, number three, to show that Jesus lives. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. People ask me all the time, Pastor Phil, does God drink coffee? Yeah, he brews. Seems like you needed to laugh there. Some of you get it when you listen to the podcast. People believe that Paul actually wrote this. A guy wrote this. But I think if a girl wrote it, it would be Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. Listen to this. I hope this helps you. Because today, maybe it's you that's holding back the blessing. Maybe it's you that's blocking God's blessing. Because I know one thing. God is looking to bless his people. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. Here... Everybody say here. Here. We are a church among the church of Jesus Christ. We are one of the churches. So right here, I'm going to use us as an example because it's us. Right here, Passion Life Church, watch what happens. Here, mortal men, I'm a mortal man, pastors, mortal men, priests, and mortal men. Mortal men receive tithes. But there, where's there? He says, but here, mortal men receive tithes. But there in heaven of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So, here's what happens. I give my tithe here. The Bible says God receives it there. I give it here on earth, and what I give here on earth affects the heavens. I don't know how, but this is the way God set it up. But the easiest way I could explain it to you this morning is if today 
when we give an altar call, if someone raises their hand here and prays a prayer of salvation here, they will go there when they die because of what they did here. So heaven is waiting on earth. That's why Jacob said, this place is called Bethel. Bethel, he said, and then he gave a tenth. And Bethel, right, is a house, the house of God, right? Bethel, it's a place, a house of God. So at the house of God, it's a gateway to heaven. What does that mean? Today, when you say a prayer in this house, what you do here affects what happens there. The windows of heaven are open, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because of what Jesus did. We sang that today, open heaven. Now, what determines what comes out of that window? God? Because when I give my tithe there, the windows of heaven are open and he pours out a blessing. The windows of heaven are not closed. Our hands are closed. And what I do here affects what happens there. So the windows of heaven are open. So when I withhold on earth, it is withheld in heaven. What I bind on earth is bound in heaven. What I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 